life isn't a straight line. In particular, professional life is not as much of a straight line as it was in the past. As scientists, as researchers, the path we follow is determined by our choices, but also by our collaborations and by opportunities that arise along the way. In this episode, Joana Lobuntunj will share with us the interesting path that brought her from pharmacy and organic chemistry to a full-time career in science communication. And remember to follow Papa PhD on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and to download the Papa PhD resource sheet and subscribe to the newsletter at the bottom of the Papa PhD website. Welcome to the show. Try to find out ways of talking about your work to, to lay audiences, be it your family at dinner time or be it with schools or drawing or whatever. Find ways of expressing yourself because one of the things we know from the literature is that scientists that work on trying to convey their messages to lay audiences also become better scientists. So doing practicing in doing science communication will also give you better insights in your PhD work and will help you solve some of your problems and be, you becoming better PhD. Welcome to Papa PhD with David Mendez, the podcast where we explore careers and life after grad school with guests who have walked the road less traveled and have unique stories to tell about how they made their place in a world of constantly evolving rules. Get ready to go off the beaten path and hop on for an exciting new episode of Papa PhD. So today... We're talking with Joana Lobuntunj, the scientist turned science communicator full-time, and she's going to tell us how she became a science communicator. Uh, she's going to talk about some projects that, that she has going on, and uh, she's going to share uh, some insights on, uh, on how, how she got here and uh, you know, what you can do if you want to have a career in this domain. And, um, and we're going to start the conversation by letting Joana uh, talk a little bit about herself, her academic path, and, um, and what twists and turns brought her from, uh, from the bench to science communication. Welcome, Joana. Hi, hi. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for having me. So I started as I, I went to university. I got my pharmacy degree. And by the time it was six-year degree, and it was, uh, I really enjoyed doing the pharmacy course here in Lisbon, in the Faculdade Farmacia, the Faculty of Pharmacy. We had a lot of lots of labs, and we learned a lot of techniques and a lot of uh, organic chemistry. And I learned, I loved math, and I really, really enjoyed organic chemistry because it has a way of thinking. It's very similar to math somehow don't ask me I can't explain it better than this but um, uh, it was really nice and one of the things I wanted to do with my life was research I knew I, I, I went to a pharmacy for because to end my degree I had to go four months in a pharmacy and two months in a, in a hospital and I really enjoyed that work but it was not something I wanted to do with the rest of my life I knew I wanted to do research So by the end of the last year, I started looking for scholarships to see if I could stay in Portugal or go abroad or whatever I needed to do. I, I knew I wanted to do something with organic chemistry. And, um, and there were the FCT scholarships, of course, and there were some scholarships I could apply for to go abroad. And I got this, I went to Instituto Camões here in uh, Portugal, And I saw there were some scholarships, and I had some countries I could go to. So I went to Professor um, Maria do Carmo Carreiras that I worked with at Faculty of Pharmacy. Since I was in the, my third year, I started collaborating in the lab. So I was doing some minor research and got interested in that. So I said, okay, I can go from these countries. I can go to Spain. I can go to Italy. I can go anywhere. Do you have some collaborations there? And she talked to someone in Madrid and someone in Santiago, at Compostela. And the people in Santiago were very eager to have me there. So that's why I got there. I, got, I applied for the scholarship. And I got the scholarship. And after I got the scholarship, the people in Madrid said that I could come as well. And I said, okay, so now my path is made. I want the scholarship to go to Santiago. And so there are these... 
I, I, I never went there before, so I went there and I met my supervisor for the first time with my backpack and all my stuff to move to Santiago. At first I was going there for five months, then I was there for a year, and then I got, was there for two years. And for my first year I just did research on the scholarship, and then he asked me, why don't you apply for a PhD program? And I thought, oh, I don't know enough, I'm, it's too early for me to do a PhD. And he told me, well, it's more or less what you do right now, but enrolling in a PhD program with classes and so forth. And so I applied, I got in, and I started doing that. And um, I also knew my, I met my boyfriend. Uh, he was Italian. He went to Spain on an Erasmus scholarship. And between wanting to be with him in Italy and wanting to move a scientific um, career, I was interested in organic chemistry, but I, after two years of just doing th synthesis, I said, okay, now I want to test my molecules. I want to see what they do or how they behave in a cell and with uh, proteins and stuff because I was working on antitumoral compounds. And it's uh, kind of, well, I, I'm a pharmacist, so just doing molecules was not enough for me. So I applied for a different scholarship to move to Italy. And I got a co-supervisor in Italy, so I moved to Italy, and I was there for three years studying my compounds. And I have to tell you, it was rather depressing because my molecules were completely useless. They did not do what they were supposed to do. I had a lot of, it was a lot of work to synthesize them, and it was very uh, frustrating that they did not behave the way I wanted, that, that I designed them to. But I was very lucky because in a pharmacology lab uh, in, in Italy, they were working with, uh, with, um, with a pharmacy company that wanted to test a compound. They thought acted on some proteins I was working on. And they came to me and they said, okay, you had a lot of molecules that did not act as you wanted, but now we have a molecule that is fabulous as anti-tumor compound, but we don't know why. So I want you to help us find out what's the mechanism behind it. And I'm like, okay. So that's what I did to finish my PhD, and I got to understand the, the, the mechanism of um, why that worked. And, um, and when I, after three years in Italy, I had this opportunity to come back to Portugal and start teaching in the university even before I wrote my thesis. So I came put to Portugal and I started teaching in the, in the, the university. Cell biology was uh, what uh, I thought. And I thought it would be super easy to write my PhD and to give classes in the university. And then I found out it was a super workload and it was really too much. And well, I came back to Portugal, I wanted to finish my PhD, I started giving classes, and also because all of my scientific career was abroad, I felt like I needed to find people that worked in fields that I might be interested in working with if I pursued science. So I started sending emails to a lot of people, and I have to say, this is a, a, an advice I would recommend to anyone that is not really sure what to do with the rest of their lives just send emails to people and ask them if they can talk to you for a bit because, and everyone replied, and I got to meet lots of people here in Lisbon, and some of them I understood, okay, I don't want to work with this person because there's, it's very important that you have empathy with someone you want to work with. It's really, really important. So some of the people that can do very interesting scientific work were not a good match for me. And where there was this uh, one person that I thought it could be a really good match. But I was, as, as I was writing my PhD and doing the classes, it was so hard work. And I, I thought I was the only one. But as time go, went by and with social media, I got to find out that this is a very common thing. That when you start writing your PhD, you start questioning everything. Everything about your work and about yourself. And it was kind of depressing time for me because I was like, this is horrible, my work is horrible, I'm never going to defend my PhD thesis, maybe I should just give up on everything. So I knew I loved science, I always loved science, but it was very hard to deal with that. So after a while, when I was still on this depressing mode, and I started uh, using a lot of social media, um, for other purposes, for writing, for networking, for other stuff non-science related. And 
uh, I got an invitation to be a part of a theater group as well. And I'm like, okay, I'm just doing a PhD and giving classes and doing stuff. I have time for that as well. So I started doing theater. And as I was doing theater and giving classes in the university, one of the things that I got to realize is that giving classes, uh, you need... Uh, it's very useful to have some theater technique when you give classes because you have an audience for two hours and you're doing a one-woman show. And if you know how to put your voice and how to walk and how to look at people and how to, when to stop and when to, you know, lots, lots of techniques I was learning to, 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 to try to be an actor on stage were incre incredibly useful for my classes in the university. So I asked my stage director, why don't we think about doing something with scientists and university professors? Because also, at least in Portugal, university professors don't get trained as, as teachers. We don't, nobody told me ever how to give a class, how to behave in front of a group of students, how to write a, a test. I had no idea, I had to learn it all by myself. So with Romeo Kposta, around 2006, we started doing those teaching uh, researchers and professors how to use theater techniques to be better professors. And I also thought, wow, this would be great. What if researchers started using this as well? So they have all the hardcore science on their side, but many times they lack the communication skills to be better at moving people into doing that. And so in 2009, I got invited to get into... Um, it was, it, this was very seminal in my career change. It was Researcher's Night, which is a project very big here in Europe. We have financing to do this Researcher's Night. It's the last Friday of September. And the idea is to bring researchers, not research in itself, but researchers closer to society. And so I was invited to do, um, to do a, a, a stage play with scientists on their, on their questions as scientists themselves for the, the researchers' night in 2009. And since I was already interested in social media, I also got to, to be responsible for the social media of the project. And that really changed. It, it was something like a coming full circle, you know, because you were learning, you were doing a lot of things that you thought were, I thought were non-career related. Mm -hmm. And somehow I got them all inside my work. And all of a sudden I could do work in science and use theater techniques to better communicate science and using social media to spread the word. And somehow it all fit perfectly because nobody was doing that in Portugal by then. Uh, at exactly the set, that same year, Alan Alda started doing this in Stony Brook University. It was 2009, where something in the stars, I don't know, <laughs> that people started, why don't we use theater to put scientists better communicating? So we did that researchers night and then we did that again in 2010. And when I, and also that uh, 2009 year, I got to find out there were some uh, postdoc scholarships for people to do science communication in Portugal that would allow me to do science communication full time. And I'm like, if I'm going to do this, I want to dedicate full time for this. So I got, when I decided I really wanted to do this postdoc, I got. I finished my PhD, it was stuck for a long time, and I got, okay, now I know what I want to do with my life, so now I'm going to get, in order to get a postdoc, I need to have a PhD, so I'm going to defend my PhD. I got it, I got my PhD, and then applied for the, the postdoc to start doing science communication full-time, and I got it, that's how I started in January 2012, and it seems like uh, I've been doing this forever, but it actually, it's, it's going to be, uh, eight years next month. So, um, well, it's uh, eight years is 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 not zero, but it's not a lifetime. But it's a lot can happen like in eight years. Yeah. A lifetime. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Very good. You said a lot of very interesting things. One of the things that that um, I found interesting, and it, it's at the beginning, is you were quickly open to go find you know something to do away you know in another country and then even move to a, another country and what i'd like to ask is what did what do you feel that you gained and not scientifically but in, you know as a person in in moving and in going to another culture for a couple of years and then moving again mm -hmm. how did that you know grow you as a person well it was fundamental for me 
Um, it was it was really really I didn't know how important it would be but it became completely transformative for the person I am today and I would advise that to everyone to have uh, an abroad experience for your scientific career and also for you personally um, my um, Working in Portugal, uh, I have a very well-known last name, as you might have uh, noticed. So in Portugal, most people that meet me, when I say my full name, people um, immediately have an idea of what I should be, or, which not necessarily means what I am. So going abroad, it meant at least for a while, until people found out, for a while it was just me. So that was very important for me to find out my value as a person, socially and culturally, what happens to you when you take everything away? You know, it, I took away my city, so I didn't. I had to learn how to move around. I had a, a different coin because when I moved, it, I don't. I don't remember if it was already euros in uh, 2000, but it was a different. Um, everything cost differently. The, the supermarkets were different. The things people ate in, in restaurants were different. The language I spoke was different. I did not learn Spanish before I, I moved there. I learned as I was doing, and I did that with Italian as well. So I, I became fluent in five languages, which is which is too much. I, I now I speak Portuguese and English and French and Italian and Spanish, and sometimes they blur all in my head, so it doesn't. it's not easy but I learned Spanish and then I learned Italian and learning languages is also very very interesting for your brain because sometimes I think in, in uh, when I get angry I think in Italian which is something very very funny uh, <laughs> especially in traffic I, 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 I curse in Italian so um, so yeah it was uh, very important and learning that it the world is bigger than your belly button the world People eat differently, uh, especially in Italy. They are very weird with food, but um, it's 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 nice. It's nice. I would definitely recommend it. Mm -hmm. And um, one thing that I'm curious is, um, I, I feel just the fact that at that time you were ready to go. It means that you know you were open to that experience. You didn't have to be forced to go out in a way. No one forced you. You, you had that ease or that call maybe. But um, once you were there, were there structures in university or your PI or did you get support? Was there mentorship? You know, how did people and the universities you went to help you in, in, in having an easy, you know, an easy uh, cultural adaptation, let's say? Mm. Well, in Spain, it was very nice. My PI is my supervisor. I owe him a lot. Eugenio, thank you. If it wasn't for him, I would not have finished my PhD. He was really, really fabulous. And he was a, he is a wonderful person. He's very welcoming. And he helped me get my apartments when I got to Santiago. And uh, uh, in his lab, he cultivated this multicultural environment. There were people from Portugal. Well, I was the first Portuguese to go there. But there were people from Italy, from Cuba, from Chile, from uh, lots of countries. And so since we are, were, were, most of us were immigrants, we got together. So we had dinner together and we learned about each other's cultures and the Cuban guys taught me how to dance, the salsa and the cha-cha-cha and uh, so forth. And it was really, really funny. So it was a very welcoming environment. In Italy, it was a bit different because most people in my lab in, in Padova, most people were from around there. So they had their own lives. They didn't care much about me there like okay we're co-workers but that's it so I needed to build my own um, network but uh, well I had my boyfriend I had the Italian family so that that helped but not the university and they were not prepared at the time to deal with that with that okay um, so so clearly it was formative and and um, you, you, there's a lot of positive things that, that you took from there but then in the second, in, in Italy, it was more the family mm, yeah. kind of safety network that you had. And, um, and then coming back, you talked about something that I find is very, very important, which is reaching out to a bunch of people that you find interesting. Mm -hmm. And you said everyone answered. Yeah. And this is something, you know, what I, what I usually say is at, at the worst, mm -hmm. someone is going to say, sorry, I, I don't have the time right now. Mm -hmm. But this confirms my idea and when, and when I discussed with other people, which is people 
like that someone is interested in, in them and in their work. And usually they'll be happy to share something. Five, 15 minutes of coffee to just, you know, chat. If you come with pointed questions and if you did your homework too, right? Mm-hmm. Not, not just wasting their time. But um, out of all of those contacts, were there some key ones, you know, that, that, that you still keep today? How did that ripple into the years uh, until, until today, those contacts that you mm-hmm. made? Well, some of them were very welcoming. And there were, there were some that were... were um, I, was, I was rather insecure by then. So it was really the, the, the people that made me feel more secure of my abilities were the ones that I hold dear. Really. One of them, I, I just invited him uh, recently to be a part of my radio show. And when I wrote him, I was very emotional. I said, you were very important to me. The conversation he had with me when I came back to Portugal, you were... And he was like, I, I remember that we talked, but I don't remember what I told you. I have no idea why is it so important to you, but I'm glad it was. But he was very welcoming. He was very receptive. And he was like, uh, you are someone I would like to work with. And I said, but I know nothing about you. You work with viruses. I know nothing about viruses. And he told me, what are viruses made of? And I said, proteins and genetic material. And he told me, you know about proteins. You know about DNA. You're fit to come. And I'm like, oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I didn't go there, though, because, well, science was not my path. But he was, he was, he, I, I remember perfectly this sentence. And he looked very assertive saying that. So it was very nice. There was another one that we had a very long meeting. He's a very nice person. But he was like, he, he looked at me and he said, you're completely lost. You don't know where you're going to go. So you need to work on yourself and I don't think we should work together and that completely destroyed me so uh, if there's a PI listening to this please don't say that to someone that's insecure and clearly clearly not on your league so please be nicer be nice to people that's a very good message and uh, it's fun that that I I find it really interesting what you said about uh, teaching PIs to through, t- through theater and through acting, mm-hmm. because uh, I, I think most PIs do are, are thrown into the deep end, and they need to start teaching without that learning, uh, the, that learning that you mentioned. And uh, I find it really interesting that you said that. And what you just said about not telling hurtful things to young students who are looking for their path is very, very important. And one one of my last interviews. Uh, it was Cindy Huffington. She said, just before university, they have something called CEGEP in Quebec. And one teacher said, yeah, you're not, you're not cut out for science. Sorry. And now she, you know, she has a PhD, uh, she, uh, PhD in neuroscience and the postdoc in education. And, but she said she carried that message with her throughout her studies. And it was, you know, something until she got her degree, it was putting a, making her doubt herself. Mm-hmm. So please, yeah. yeah hear hear what Joanna is saying and measure your words and and and, and try to, to yeah. <laughs> give positive yeah because words matter and if you are an older person or a more experienced person people take your word as uh, a very important thing so words do matter and so be nice to people <laughs> even if you think mm, maybe not you can say the same thing in in very different ways so I think the uh, chemistry, one of the chemistry Nobel Prizes this year, his teacher told him he'll never amount to anything. His chemistry teacher in in high school. And now he just won the the Nobel Prize. So you never know. You never know. Uh, And because people cannot be evaluated in a a kind of a unidimensional way. People are made of many things. They have their backstory. They have, you know, they can surprise you in many ways. I, I agree with you. So I'm super glad that you you know, didn't listen to that and uh, that you went on and you found your path because this means that you do today. We're going to talk about some of your projects later on. Um, But one of the things that I'd like maybe for you to share is in this postdoc that was in in science communication, Mm -hmm. can you kind of, for the sake of the audience, describe a little bit, you know, what what were the skills that you learned? What were the, like, the main 
things that, that made you then able to go full-time into science communication? Well, being well, a postdoc, I was full-time because I'm, I have to, I signed the contract saying I was full-time. Oh, I learned a lot. It was, it was uh, well, for to, to, to choose where I was going to do the postdoc, that uh, researcher's night in 2009, it was absolutely essential because that, that w was a very important year where most uh, um, researcher's night were starting to lift off in Portugal and the most important um, well, the, the research institutes that had science communication offices in Portugal, they all came together to do that project together. So I had uh, uh, EGC, ETKB, BMC, lots of, lots of all the big ones. Yeah. So I got to know all everyone that was coordinator in science communication offices. And that's where I met Ana Sanchez. By the time she was um, head of the science communication office at ITQB. And we got along perfectly in the moment we met. And we started having lunch together and having coffee and talking about science communication. And I, I, I was a big fan of her work at ATQB. And I knew if I wanted to work with someone in a science communication office, she was, she was the person I wanted to work with. So for a couple of years, we went back and forth on what could be a project. We, were, we didn't know. We, we thought my chances of winning were pretty slim because... She never had anyone working with her in these terms of doing a postdoc project in science communication, and we were very indecisive. And then she also started to prepare the master in science communication with Antonio Granado. And so she said, why don't we do something together? This master is going to start, so we can do something between the three of us. And you can also help us out with the master. And between the three of us, they, were, they became both my postdoc supervisors, and we wrote this project, and the idea was to do a blog on science communication, and I wanted to go inside the labs to get to know the real stories, not just because most of the science that gets out on the news, it's scientists today discovered that. You know, when papers come out or we, you win big awards, and science is much more than that. Coming from the scientific field, you know that there's so much more to science than the papers and the awards. That's not the scientific process. I wanted to work on what makes science science and what makes a scientific process. So my, my, my project became, I wanted to go inside the labs. I wanted to go to the lab meetings. I wanted to follow a lab for a while if they let me. And I was, they were amazing at ITQB and they let me do that. And it was uh, very important. And so I could know about the news inside there, and I wanted to put, to bring out scientific process to my project. And so I wrote that, but I was not I was not very confident, you know, for the all that period of being very insecure in the PhD and everything. And I'm like, okay, so Anna and Antonio they never supervised the postdocs, so I probably they don't have a, a resume as supervisors in science communication, so maybe I will not get that. So the results came out, and I was so convinced I did not get it. I did not see the results until the next day. And so the next day, I was still in my pajamas. My kids were small in the living room. And so all of a sudden, I found out I was second. I came out second, which was wow. And I started shouting. And my kids were so afraid of me that day. And I'm like, I won. I won. I can't believe I won. My life is going to change. And so that's how it came about. So I was, it was, it, I was incredibly fortunate. So I started doing that uh, postdoc, and I went inside the labs and found the stories and wrote pieces. And also the master in science communication uh, started to be, and I accompanied that. And then the next year I started giving classes also in the master. And it, it has been a great journey. And uh, what I learned with both Anna and Antonio and with the scientists themselves is... Um, Many times I describe Anna. I'm 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 a, I'm a little bit like a hurricane, as she also describes me. I I have a lot of energy and I do a lot of stuff. And if people say tell me something can't be done, well, that usually I get that done because it's it's very provocative for me if people say that. So she gave me earth, which is something that I really needed because you can't live on being a hurricane because you need to constantly be moving. So she taught me how to anchor my ideas into the real world and 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 um, because yeah I can't keep spinning all the time so I need I need to be grounded and I need to build uh, stuff and with Antonio well he's been a journal a science journalist for years so I learned a lot with his editing and his skills in understanding what's really important there 
So it, it was amazing. It was, um, I could have done my, that postdoc forever. But, um, well, everything changed after a couple of years. Mm. And is that material still available, that, that blog? I don't know, because we had it on a platform. And uh, it was really funny. I wrote stuff about the lab. And I did stuff about what's most important about doing a PhD. And I interviewed a lot of PhD students at IQB that had just finished. And it was super fun because all of them, I interviewed them separately. And none of them talked about the science. It was really, really interesting because most of them saying getting a PhD, it's not about the science that you learn. It's about the process. It's about what you learn about yourself. It's about learning how to get answers. It's to learn how to deal with the team, how to deal with the PI, how to deal with uh, buying stuff, how to deal with the negative results. So it's doing a PhD is so much more than just about the science that you do. It's about everything else that you gain by having a PhD. So having a PhD, it doesn't mean it's not just the title on your thesis. Having a PhD is so much more than that. It's skills that you acquire. I agree, and, and it's one of the things that come out of, of the interviews a lot is mostly it's the transferable skills that, that are your big treasure that you, that you bring out. Often, 10 years down, not that you won't remember what you did during your PhD, but it, it won't be as important in your life anymore and you're going to be working on something completely different because you, you became a specialist on something completely different because you learn how to become a specialist on anything that you set your mind to. That, that's that's one, of the, one of the things I, I totally agree. So yep, this is a super super interesting path and um, clearly you met some inspiring people there was some serendipity being at the right place and the right time and meeting the right people for the, the kind of the, the choices that you made yeah yeah well I have to go back you know for a minute because there was this one person that really changed everything going to theater mm -hmm. was really the key thing I chose in my life that changed everything because besides of my stage director and having this epiphany of doing theater with scientists, I also met there a very, very important person that became my, my life partner and the father of my kids. And he was also a scientist. And we were like, when we got to the theater, I'm like, what are the odds of having two scientists? Because it was theater, not related to science. And he was finishing his PhD. And then when, when he finished his PhD, he, got the, he knew about those scholarships in science communication. So he started that path before me. So it was through him that I got everything. So you never really know where stuff is going to change. So you have to open your eyes and be, you have to be available. You have to be available for whatever comes your way. So it was really a set of yeah, serendipity completely. But you have to be open. You have to, yeah, you have to have your ears and eyes open to, to catch that moment when, when it comes. Mm -hmm. It's great, and your path is super interesting. I think we're going to take a little break now, and then we're going to talk about the projects that, that you've been developing and that uh, I know are super cool, but our audience doesn't know yet. Thank you for listening to Papa PhD. If you like the show, if it resonates with you, share it with a friend. They'll probably enjoy it too. And if you want to support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash PhD and become part of the community. You'll be helping me produce the show and you'll be able to interact with it in different ways. So we're back for part two of, of our interview with Joana Lobantunj. Uh, you had a really interesting path, you know, from, from science, from pharmacy to the bench, to theater, to science communication. It's awesome and it's, it's uh, super inspiring uh, and um, and now you're up to a lot of you know there's different projects that you that you're you're doing and that you're implicated in um, and that I'd like you to share with the audience can you share a little bit of, of what you do now how you use all those skills to really uh, bring science to people out there yeah well now my biggest project uh, my day job actually is heading uh, communications uh, at uh, Instituto Superior Técnico which is uh, the largest engineering school in Portugal and a very important one in the world and it has been a change for me because I was heading science communication in a research institute and now at Tecnico, this everything is 10 times bigger. So what I'm trying to figure out here is I'm trying to create a network of science communicators with the different uh, research units uh, right here because I want to find out more about the science that's being done here to get it to the world. And what I'm finding out are 
pearls. I'm absolutely uh, incredible things happening here at Technico that people don't actually know about. So my work right now for the next uh, years will be to find out ways to better bring this uh, science and math and physics and engineering and architecture that's being done here in ways because I, there is not a one-size-fits-all in science communication. So it depends on the scientists I'm working with and the science field they're doing. So I have to come up with different strategies to get their science across. So And also working with science communicators in the research units will be very important. And also working with students. There are students here that not particularly not necessarily science, but they are actually doing research because there are students here that do incredible things, like they build motorcycles and boats and and cars to do races and to do that they actually build the motorcycles and the boats and the planes and everything so they have to come up with ways of doing that so that's also very very i'm still trying to figure out how to better um, also use that material and in communicating well it's kind of a some some of it is actually some research that they're doing so I'm very interested in finding out ways of doing that so that's my day job I work in a in an institute in this big faculty in technical and I'm trying to to devise strategies to better communicate one of the, the first things I started doing was to uh, kind of um, moving some of the ways that the technique communicates through social media and now how to better put out their the, the science that's being done here and also well lots of other things but these are the things I'm very keen on doing and I something I can really contribute to to doing here and besides that, I have a lot of side projects. I have some European projects going on about uh, understanding how science communication is being done across Europe and how we can rethink about that, but that's that's really starting. Other things I have, I still have this uh, daily science show in uh, Portuguese um, broadcast. It's it's well, it's very hard working. Uh, it's it, it's a super ambitious project. And when when I think about it, I I think I was kind of crazy of of starting this because, well, everything worked out just fine, and we are getting a lot of recognition of the work. But the the idea was to do a daily science show with a different scientist every day talking in a one minute and a half about their research and this is a very simple concept but well there it's a lot of work producing this because you have to find the the, the scientists and you have to meet them and have to interview them and have to edit and to have a daily science show on this it's really challenging but uh, well We've been doing it for three years now, so I think it's mission accomplished. <laughs> we have proven we can do it, and we have gotten some nice awards on that as well. And we have a big big team. I'm not doing it by myself. We have five people on the team. We have uh, lots of people working on this. And the, the, main, the main thing I help with is finding the researchers and trying to figure out where is the good research being done and trying to help figure that out. And then they're interviewed and they're edited and there's someone else that does, does the grid to pass on the national radio. And it's what I think is most important about this work. Well, one for one is putting it together because it's really challenging to put this together. And uh, the other thing is that we got to have a very nice portrait of what is being done in science in Portugal right now. Because what we do, we want to have people from all around the country, not just Lisbon and Porto. We go to all the cities that... Uh, that have uh, research institutes and we interview scientists there and we also we also look for uh, Portuguese scientists abroad so we are also interested in finding the com Portuguese community scattered around the world so we have a very very nice portrait not a, an exhaustive portrait but a nice portrait of what's being researched in Portugal nowadays and it's a very varied uh, research. We go through since musical sciences to chemistry and physics and sociology and political science and architecture and mathematics and biology. We cover everything. And one of the things we also try is to have a representative in gender. We, have, we try to have a gender balance, which is something that's very curious because although in Portugal, it's the, the, the country in the world we have most women, Usually, the ones that come for the interviews are men. We have a problem that 
I'm I'm working on with some people on a project to 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 fight this is that usually men are more available they usually say yes to giving lectures or to giving interviews and women are more I don't know why this happens but they are less open to giving their time to do other activities other than their work because I believe it has to do with women are usually more overwhelmed than men with a lot of tasks And so we want to fight this because this has a a problem, a repercussion, which means that girls that would like to come to science, the role models are mostly men. The ones that are interviewed, the ones that come on television, the ones that come on the newspapers are men. And we need to, to address this. We need to have more women as protagonists in the media and everywhere else because um, it's, it's, it's important to get more women into doing all, all kinds of jobs and courts and everything. And on your TEDx talk, uh, uh, you show great examples of, of women in Portugal doing great research, men also, but women also. But you say that somehow when it comes to taking or having the time to go do something a little different, it's harder to get them to do that. Men are freer probably in a way to take this time. It, it, it may be difficult to pinpoint the reason. Yeah, it is because I have some women that are usually available and they say yes, but the problem is the ones that say yes, lots of people ask them stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, many times what I do, I'm, many times I organize uh, talks and lectures and what I want to do, I usually uh, I like to do is to put put people talking about different disciplines. Like the last one I, 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 I organized was people talking about 50 years of the moon landing, but I didn't want, not want to have just people that work on space sciences. Me and Jean Hortri, which is my co-organizer, we said, okay, so let's think about how on men going to the moon 50 years ago, how did that change the science we do today? But not just space science climate change and medicine and biology, lots of things changed because we went to, to the moon 50 years ago. So we want to talk about that. So most women, well, all the women that I invited to do that, and they not, if they don't work in space science, they're like, I'm not going to do that. It's, it's going to be hard. So I got a panel full of men because many times what I think is that if you want to look at your work in a different perspective, Uh, we, it's more challenging and it takes more time and you have to take some time to, to read about it. So maybe that is the problem, that, that extra time, because I think women are overwhelmed. One of the things that really annoys me is that usually journalists ask women how do they manage work-life balance and nobody asks that to men. So it's supposed to be the work-life balance, the workload is on us. And I also look at the numbers, women at Uh, in the house, they work a lot more than men do. They do a lot more, and, and that's exhausting. Yeah, if uh, I imagine if if you you know it's 5 p.m. and you think, okay, I need to close my day because I need to go get the kid at daycare and do this. Uh, if, of course, then you know the bandwidth is not there anymore mm-hmm. to to be available for those things. But don't you think culture? Uh, I imagine even you know the south southern europe is very traditional but that things are changing a little bit compared to maybe 10 years ago 20 years ago yeah things are changing a little bit but if you go ask people uh, name five scientists name five portuguese scientists from the top of your head people will name five men If, if you ask children to, to to draw scientists it's going to be a guy in, yeah, a, in yeah. a lab coat that's uh, that's yeah it's it's come up in a couple of interviews uh, before but One of the ways to change is, is what you try to do, which is bring the women to the forefront and, and put them in the spotlight and, yeah. and let them talk and let them be you know, the, the protagonist. Uh, so, but it's still a, cha- a challenge, that's what you're saying. It is. It is. Well, you'll keep doing what you're doing yeah, and yeah, it's, it's going to change. Yeah, <laughs> it's persistence. I just wanted to say, uh, so the name of the show that you're mentioning, uh, in Port- it's in Portuguese, but it, it's equivalent to 90 seconds of science. Yes. And it's been it, daily... On the national radio, it's 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 just huge to me. It's it's amazing that that you've been able to pull that to pull that off. How did you go about convincing a national radio station to to even if it's 90 seconds to say, let's let's do 
a show on what scientists do. How, how did that conversation go it, come it about? It was super easy, actually, um, because we presented the idea and they said yes. Well, I, as I told you, the team is big. And so part of the team is Antonio Granado and Paulo Nuno Vicente. They were both journalists and Paulo Nuno also worked in the, in the, um, in the radio. So when they suggested the idea uh, for Antenna and National Radio, they immediately said yes. So it was super easy, actually. So it was not hard to get to get the station on board. Um, what we needed, we needed money, and we needed our universities on board. And well, it was uh, it was not hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, w me and Antonio, we were doing. Me, I was in for ITQB and he was in for a Faculdade Ciências Sociais Humanas. We were both from Universidade Nova de Lisboa, mm -hmm. and we wanted to do this as part of our work. So we needed our directors to say yes. You can use um, twenty percent of your time to put this show together. And what what uh, I convinced them, we showed them that we ha when you have your signature in the program, because if you're producing it, you have to sign your name, and they are producing it because they are giving us uh, our work and they also financed the, the they gave us the seed money to start this and um, they have this uh, signature so the program is Universidad Nova and it's from from our research institutes and it's um, they were well it's really not something that has been done before in Portugal it was rather new because what they, what happened is that there were a, a couple of universities that had radio shows but they did it only on their work on their researchers so it was like a paid program on the radio and what the concept we wanted we wanted to have to do something that had impact nationwide. So if you want to have impact, you're not doing a program on your belly button, on your researchers. If you want to have impact, you're going to do research on everyone in the country. So at the beginning, it was like, why should our university pay for other universities' research mm -hmm. to be on the radio? Which is a very pertinent question. And this thing is, it's because we have vision. We want to do. We will always have our researchers because we want the best, and we also have the best. Mm -hmm. So, but it's not just us. We are doing this program for the world. One of the missions of the universities is to build scientific culture, and you do that by doing a program everybody wants to listen. If it's just your university program, your scope is not nationwide. Your scope is really small. And if you have a nationwide scope, then you can really make a difference. And we have proven they have believed in our arguments and they have given us all the conditions and we have done it. That's amazing. And do you get feedback from the scientists of, hey, I got some calls you know, after my episode, uh, these students wanted to work with me. Uh, do you have something that you can share like we that? We have lots of those. We have uh, lots of kids that tol told us that they'd chosen their supervisors because they listened to the radio, and so they contacted them because of that. We have scientists that started collaborating because of the work, because they didn't knew they were both doing things that could be related. And we have lots, lots of positive feedback. Lots of positive feedback. It's, it's really amazing. That's really awesome, and, and, and kudos for, for setting this up, and, and again, thinking completely out of the box and doing the thing that no one had done before, and, and uh, maybe fighting these, these types of uh, antibodies that, that are out there, uh, that are natural in a way. But it's completely natural, you know, because nobody had done, why should we? And when we, me and Antonio, were, we were very fierce about uh, the, the radio show, and well, it turns out we were right, and we are very proud of what of what we've done. And then we are we were super fortunate because we were hiring someone to do the the interviews and to do the editing. And then uh, Adrian Cerqueira came along. We didn't knew him, and it was like he was perfect on paper. And when we met him, we were like, okay, this is the person we want to work with, and he's been with us for over three years, and it's been a perfect match, and it's it's amazing. And also, let me just say this because on on. Uh, when you do a podcast, it's uh, even when you do a video, there are some papers that say the most important thing is audio quality. You have to have very good sound. So we were super fortunate, besides Antonio and Paulo and Adriano, we also had Paulo Castanheiro. He's, a, he's, um, he's an audio uh, technician. And he has been working on the radio for over 20 years. And by the time we were putting together this show, he came back to the university and he was doing a master and he, on, on radio. And he, when he knew about the project, he said, I want to be on the team because I want to do the po audio post-production. So we have 
awesome audio post-production because Paulo was there in university by the time we got to liftoff and he came on the team as well. So we have a, a stellar team, a really stellar team, and that makes all the difference. Sometimes you have the ideas, but you, you lack the human resources to have. And so we got an amazing team working together with the right resources so you can do anything with those conditions. That's awesome. And, and uh, it's ongoing and uh, may it live uh, for long, long years. Yeah, let's see. <laughs> Because uh, like we were talking before the interview, people need to know about, about to know a little bit more about what science is in simpler terms. And in, I guess just because you have this thing about 90 seconds, what sort of care do you need to take into how you, you know, you record, a, uh, you do a first recording and then you kind of shorten it up to 90 seconds. What are the main guidelines that you follow into? Okay, what has to be in these 90 seconds? What shouldn't be in the 90 seconds? Can you comment on that a little bit? Yeah, what we want to be on those, because it's just the voice of the researcher, the, the voice of Adriano, it doesn't come out because that's the concept we wanted to literally one of the, the the claims that we put on the website is that we give voice to scientists to portuguese scientists and we take that literally because so the 90 seconds is about the scientist all about him so him or her so it has to be very well explained in their own words so sometimes we re-record the same sentence over and over again until it gets really clear and it we get the jargon out and we get the technical terms out we get the same meaning but without the technical terms or if you need to talk about the technical terms you have to explain them in the ways that i understand them if you really need to talk about the very like mitochondria if you're working on mitochondria you can't just not say that word but you have to explain what does that mean okay and it's from the beginning the first time you say the word you explain what it means so what what it is, what's important is that people present themselves and they say where they come from and then they explain what's the problem and then they explain what's the what they are working on to solve that problem so pretty much this is the program people present themselves they say their names they say where they're coming from and they say this is a problem i'm working on this is a, a problem because sometimes people don't know what the problems are so you have to explain what's the problem and then you present the solution and so that's one minute and a half so a lot a lot of the work and then is done in the editing i guess yes It's like with writing. There's a, there's a saying about writing. Good writing is in editing. I don't remember the exact saying, but in, in this case, it's, a, it's kind of the similar thing. Now, you were mentioning how some scientists didn't know that these other scientists was, were doing the same thing. And in a conversation before, you were also saying this was happening here in terms of science communicators mm -hmm. in Portugal. And um, along with other people, you've, you know, you've taken part into setting up a community of, of science communicators an association of science communicators here in Portugal. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and what it's about? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's, it's always about teamwork. I never do anything by myself, which is uh, fun. So you have to find out the, the, the people you need to work with to get things done. It's super important. So don't ever, like a scientist, like there, there's a famous saying by, by attributed to Newton, says, if I could have seen further is because I was standing on the shoulders of giants, saying that you build on other people's work. You not only build on other people's work, you also have to build with other people. So it's huge teamwork. Everything that I do, I cannot do anything I want to do by myself. It's not possible to do science communication unless you work in teams. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, in uh, 2012, I was uh, talking with uh, Silvia Castro and we were, we were stunned that we had to go abroad to congresses abroad to know what people were doing in science communication in Portugal. And we're like, okay, so why don't we come up with a national meeting in Portugal so that we can know about other people? So the first meeting we organized was in May 2013. And we were expecting about 50 people and 200 came along. So it was a big surprise. And since then, we've been organizing it yearly. We, we will be having the eighth meeting in 2020 in the Azores. And it's incredible because I know a lot of people. I know a lot of projects. I go everywhere. I'm, I'm super active on social media for science and science communication. And still... Every year, new projects come along, people that I've never heard of. So it's super rich, it's super, it's amazing, actually. So that people, because many times when you do science communications, many times you are working for your local communities. So many times you have the same, very similar models replicated throughout the country. So we can put 
everyone together so people can learn from each other. You don't need to invent the wheel all by yourself all over again, everywhere. So uh, we are very, very proud of putting this community together. And we hope, well, I hope it continues long before I stop being president. And which I think is very important, the rotation of leaderships, it's really, really important. I, and I hope SICOM Portugal continues to live long after I've stopped being president because I think it's it's important that it happens. And um, one thing that I that I really wanted to ask you, um, I already asked you if uh, there were some there was some feedback from the people who who came on to ninety uh, seconds of science and you said you said yes and and it's it's logical you know when people hear about you they're they're curious maybe they're going to look and and. If they're brave and, and you know they're going to contact you if, if they want to, but one of the things we hear a lot about these days is is one term that you hear a lot is fake news. But in the in the science part, let's say disinformation or misinformation, and um, I think this type of, of uh, initiative is super important to work towards you know dispelling a lot of of, um, of misleading information that's out there. Uh, and being, you know, involved in, in the things you're involved, do you have um, maybe an idea of how the picture is in, let's say, in Portugal or in Europe, and how these types of uh, associations and of events and of, uh, of initiatives are having an effect on on uh, on bringing the right information to the public out there? That's the you know the lay public. Mm -hmm. Fake news is a uh, is really a huge problem. It's it has become our major enemy because uh, until a couple of years ago, our major enemy was ignorance. But now our major enemy has become fake news so that people are not just ignorant or not interested. By ignorant, I mean they don't know. You know, now, It's not that they're stupid, they just don't know. And um, now it's become harder because people know, but they know the wrong things. And they don't want to change their minds, like vaccines or climate change or whatever, you know. And it's it has become a much bigger problem. We should have worked better by now. But one of the problems is fake news and disinformation, they work on emotions. They work on something that's close to the people. And we, working with science, we go to more... Um, We go to a different approach. You usually don't use emotions. So one of the things that we need, we need different tools to communicate. One of the one of the things that happens regularly is I don't know if you've ever argued with um, with people that are that don't believe that climate change is caused by men or anti-vaxxers or whatever. You you fight with them and you give them papers, and they answer back with YouTube link videos. I don't know if it has happened to you, but it's uh, a common, very common thing. So one of the things that I found out is we need to do more videos with real science and real scientists. And we need the scientists, well, for many, about the vaccines, well, I think for a long time, scientists thought we are right. So we don't have to do anything because people will know that we are right. But on the other side, you had a very emotional approach from the anti-vaxxers, like vaccines have are going to make autism or provoke autism or are going to make children behave bad or kill them or whatever. Mm -hmm. And scientists knew that was not true. So they thought the facts speak for themselves. Well, the thing is, whenever I teach scientists, what, what I teach them mostly is the facts don't speak for themselves. Scientists are the facts advocates. So you, the scientist, You have to be an advocate for the right facts, and you have to find the ways, and we science communicators, we are here to help you. But what I need, so I tell you, all I do, I, I do teamwork. So mm -hmm. what I need, what we need, is that scientists become advocates for their work in talking with people in terms that the people understand and talking to the people as the way they are. You don't dumb down your science, you don't stupidify your science, but you talk and write and speak in ways that people understand, in, people's, in ways that people connect, in the ways that people want to know more. So, and when we get there, we will get ways to, find, to fight fake news and misinformation. Yeah, it's, it's a challenge because the, 
uh, threshold to, to be able to publish something on social media now is very low. Anyone can, can publish anything. And, but to make good video, like say a good YouTube video explaining something and that's going to be, uh, that's going to reach emotionally people, like, like you say, for sure it, it will take, it's like having a, an ad agency, but for science communication. And there needs to be money that goes into that. We need money to do science communication, to do quality science communication. We, de- we need investment. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen if you just if if the funding agencies just expect scientists to give ten percent of their time to science communication and that's it. It will not work because they need science communicators. They need teams. They need uh, stuff to do videos or to do a good lecture. It's not just giving a theme to a scientist and expecting the magic to happen. To have a good lecture, you have to teach them how to give good lectures. To do a game, you need people that know how to build games. To do a, a whatever, to do whatever, you need professionals to do that. It's true, and and it takes investment for sure. Yes. Um, now, one one of the things I like to do uh, at the end of, of each interview, and we're reaching towards the end, is is you know taking all the experience that the that the guest has had in in this case you, uh, to kind of bring some advice or some uh, you know some insights to the to the listeners out there. And one of the things that that I that I find that is interesting to think about today, just because it's it's easy to be out there to make to create a blog, to to uh, I don't know make to vlog, you know, to be on on YouTube. How do you think uh, students out there that are maybe during their PhD can start to integrate some aspect of science communication in their day to day habits? Of I'm a PhD student and I you know I do my work, but I also start already communicating what I do to the outside world. Do you have any ideas on that? Any yeah. advice? Well, well, the thing is, well, not everyone will be great at doing everything. Some people will be good at talking about their work to, to small kids, other to adolescents, other to old people. Others will be good in writing. Others will be good in videos. Others will be good in podcasts or drawing or whatever. There are some great examples of drawing in science communication that I really, really love. And uh, the people that are super skilled in doing it and they are super effective. So the thing is, Try to find out ways of talking about your work to to lay audiences, be it your family at dinner time or be it with schools or drawing or whatever. Find ways of expressing yourself because one of the things we know from the literature is that scientists that work on trying to convey their messages to lay audiences also become better scientists. So doing practicing in doing science communication will also give you better insights in your PhD work and will help you solve some of your problems and be, you becoming better a PhD. So give, give it a chance, give it a chance. Uh, volunteer whenever it's needed or whenever people are doing stuff, just give it a go. And you'll find out there are some things you don't like, other things you like. So, but just give it a, give it a try, give it a try. Yeah. yeah, and, you know, we come from domains where, where and I'm thinking of, of, of my, my background and having, you know, animals and cells that need to be split on Sunday and things like that. And, and, you know, from domains where maybe it's hard as a PhD student to find time to do things that are very involved. But um, one of the things that I a suggestion that I heard is, you know, instead of physically volunteering somewhere, you know, with your time to maybe uh, um, edit an, an online magazine for free in the domain that you that you um, that you like or that you work in, that's that's a possibility. And it's a little bit less involved than going and, and giving your time. But um, yeah, I, I think what you said is very editing very is very time-consuming, actually. <laughs> yeah, well, but, um, depending, yeah, for sure, depending on the scope and the amount of work that they give you. But you know, some 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 aspect, adding some aspect of coming out of your bubble and and starting to to interact and and to uh, to um, to put something out there uh, is going to help you down the road for sure. And now the the other questions that I that I always like to ask is taking a, a step even a little bit more back and looking at your path un, until now. You already talked about being open to opportunities that arise. You already talked about being ready to you know go abroad for a little while and 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 grow abroad uh, you know in different aspects that 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 you wouldn't if you if you had stayed close to home. But um, in terms of habits or strategies tools that that people might want to 
put some time into during their studies to start and we talked about one now which is volunteer and try to, to talk about what you do that's that's very good do you have other advice basically for either people thinking oh should i do a phd i'm going to lose time you know towards getting a real job or people that are in the phd and that are maybe doubting or having a hard time because everyone that's doing a phd at a certain point has a hard time and even considers dropping out and and you know let, letting everything go do you have some advice For, for them? I think people should, uh, if you really love science and you want to, to dive in in research, you should definitely go for a PhD. And it's okay if you change your minds midway and you change a little bit uh, route. Don't forget, it's your PhD. It's not your supervisor's. It's your PhD. So you have the right to choose your own path. Choose a The choice of supervisor is super important so choose a supervisor you see eye to eye with not just for his or her scientific resume but also for their human qualities their personality the way they work it has to work for you as well um, the other thing is when you're midway through a phd it's super natural to have doubts especially between the second and the third year when everything is going wrong because usually when it goes wrong it's between the second and the third year and you really wonder what am i doing with my life But um, if you want to do science-related stuff, well, just, just hang in there and finish it and it will be worth it. Because when you finish your PhD, it's not just the science that you've learned. You've learned a set of skills that will be super important for you in the future, like problem solving and teamwork and meeting other people and getting people to help you solve problems and looking for answers and so many things that you learn along the way. So having a PhD is an asset. If you're doing a PhD and thinking of becoming a PI, well, that's probably not going to happen. The numbers are not in your favor. But having a PhD is wonderful because it opens a lot of doors. And if you want to do many other science-related jobs, having a PhD is obviously a plus. And even if you're not going to science, well, lots of consultants, they value having people with PhDs because they know they are problem solvers. And in consultants, well, that's their day-to-day -day job, to solve problems. So having a PhD is always an asset. I think those are very wise words. And uh, I'm 100% with you on them for sure. Uh, and now one of, one of the things that I would, last things I want to ask is, do you have uh, some websites that you want to share, some uh, some um, social media, the Twitter handle that, that you want to share? Well, social media is one of the things that I'm very interested in for a long time. And I, I'm teaching social media for scientists course here in, in Lisbon. And we've already written a book in Portuguese. So if you're, if you're looking for guidelines on how to approach social media to, to communicate science as a scientist, please check it out. And I think social media, well, In, social in science communication, we have to meet people where they are, and people are on social media. Mm -hmm. People are on Facebook and on Instagram and on Twitter. So using social media to communicate science and also to get to know about science is one of the good things you can do. And maybe, maybe like me, it happened. When I started using social media, I had no idea I was going to use it for science professionally. But I've become a social media manager for many institutions, and now I'm, I'm uh, continuing to do that. And I think it's very interesting to, 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 to use and to, and to test how to better use social media for good science communication, because I learn things every day, even as a social media manager. So do try to check it out. And also, if you're just using LinkedIn or ResearchGate or Academia, do, do use it because it makes a difference on the impact of your, on your papers and in your career. Excellent. And do you have, what's your Twitter handle? If, It's if uh, Joana L-O-A. Okay, perfect. Joana, I had a great time. And I think you touched a lot of things that are very close to my heart in terms of, and I didn't have to ask you, just went there and like we're hitting the marks uh, by yourself. Uh, thank you so much for having accepted this, my kind of quick uh, invitation uh, to, to come and, uh, and have this conversation. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Papa PhD podcast. Head over to papaphd.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non-academic postgrad careers. I'll always be happy to share inspiring stories, new ideas and useful resources here on the podcast. 
So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests. 